Hello, and welcome to our latest CWJ Employment Podcast, where this month I'm joined by Laura Claridge, our senior solicitor within our employment department. In this edition, we're going to be talking about settlement agreements, or you might know them by the term they used to be called compromise agreements. Now, our employment team advise on dozens of these every year, and we thought it might be helpful to talk through a couple of issues around what they are and what they do. So firstly, Laura, can you tell us the basics? What is a settlement agreement? Thanks, Chris. Yes, a settlement agreement is a contract which brings employment to an end by mutual consent on a no-fault basis. By signing the agreement, the employee agrees to waive their statutory employment rights and should be prevented from bringing employment tribunal claims, for example, for unfair dismissal or discrimination. In exchange, the employer pays the employee a settlement or termination payment, which can often be paid tax-free. At CWJ, we get involved and advise both employers and employees about settlement agreements. Often it may be that one of our employer clients will approach us to assist them with agreeing an exit for the employee, and we can draft the agreement, advise on the process, and negotiate terms with the employee's solicitor on behalf of our client with their instructions. But we also advise lots of employees each year on the terms of their settlement agreements. Okay, so when might an employer offer a settlement agreement? There are lots of scenarios where employers may be tempted to offer a settlement agreement. It can avoid the time and the cost of dealing with a tricky situation or the risk of a potential claim. It can be quicker and lower risk means of ending the employment relationship where it's broken down or there's an underlying dispute. But there doesn't always have to be a dispute. Um, A common example would be where redundancies are planned and to avoid going through a formal process, the employer offers those affected employees a settlement agreement. This avoids having to dismiss the employee and the need to jump through the hoops to ensure that the redundancy process is beyond reproach or where, for example, the grounds for selection may be open to challenge. So the settlement agreement is a means of avoiding following a formal process as long as the employee agrees to sign it. The employee will lose the right to challenge the redundancy decision or their selection, but in exchange for that and for agreeing the terms, they should receive an enhanced redundancy payment. Another common scenario is when an employee is facing a potential performance review and a settlement agreement is offered as a means of avoiding the long process, which can be difficult for both parties, and parting ways to avoid this may suit everyone. Or a settlement agreement may be offered at the end of a disciplinary process where the employer wants to dismiss, the relationship's broken down, but the employer fears that the decision may be challenged, and so to avoid having to formally dismiss for misconduct, they can offer a settlement agreement. Occasionally, a disgruntled employee may indicate to their employer as part of a grievance or other dispute that they're prepared to enter into a settlement agreement and the employer may agree to this, for example, to avoid the risk of a grievance. Okay, so um, you've mentioned that settlement agreements can be offered on a no-fault basis um, and as a lower-risk way of ending employment, but there's obviously a cost involved with offering a settlement agreement. So are there any other advantages with offering settlement? Well, from the employer's side, often settlement agreements can be entered into much quicker than it would take to investigate a grievance or disciplinary or handle a redundancy process. It can also avoid a situation where the workforce may be unsettled. For example, having to put other employees at risk of redundancy can be unsettling for everyone and affect morale. So offering a confidential settlement agreement 
only to those employees who are likely to be selected for redundancy means that decisions can be limited to fewer employees. The agreement can also include confidentiality clauses which seek to prevent the employee from bad-mouthing the employer or telling lots of people about the underlying dispute and it removes the uncertainty and worry about whether the employee may bring a claim which would be in the public domain. All right, thank you. So there's obviously a number of, of benefits to the employer, but what are the benefits to employees when entering into a settlement agreement? The main benefit is likely to be the enhanced and potentially tax-free settlement payment. As part of the settlement as well, the employee is likely to request a reference with agreed wording, and in lots of cases this will be very valuable to them. Similarly, the parties can agree wording for an announcement to be made to colleagues or other contacts, which allows the employee to feel in control of what others will be told about the reason for their departure. But also, an employee may want to avoid being formally dismissed in, say, a disciplinary situation, and in that scenario may accept a fairly low settlement proposal to avoid the formal dismissal. Or in a redundancy situation, they may feel that the writing is on the wall, so accept the settlement to avoid a redundancy dismissal potentially with less compensation than would be on offer as part of a settlement. And the same with performance management. They may want to avoid the the pain of being put onto a performance management process, take an early settlement and move on. Sometimes, however aggrieved an employee may feel, entering into a settlement agreement is attractive because, again, it avoids the risk and costs involved with litigation and dispute. And generally, they'll receive the settlement payment very soon after signing the settlement agreement rather than having to wait for months, sometimes years, for the outcome of litigation. And some employees feel so worn down by the time a settlement agreement is being discussed, they just don't have the stomach to issue a claim in the tribunal. Okay, so you've talked through what a settlement agreement is and the main benefits to the employer and the employee. So let's let's get into a bit more detail. Um, How do we safely have a conversation with an employee about the possibility of entering into a settlement without the employee being able to argue that we've already made our minds up about the dismissal if they decide not to accept it. Conversations held with a view to trying to settle an employment dispute can be held on a without prejudice basis. This means that the settlement agreement discussion cannot be disclosed or used against the employer in a court or tribunal. Although there are some narrow exceptions to this, As long as there's no untoward conduct, generally it's safe to assume the conversation is off record if the requirements are met, because tribunals recognise that it's important for parties to be able to explore settlement. Alternatively, where there's no dispute, Section 111A of the Employment Rights Act allows employers to have what's called a protected conversation. But note that if the conversation is held on this basis – Although it wouldn't be disclosable in an unfair dismissal claim, it could still be disclosed in certain other claims like breach of contract, discrimination or whistleblowing. Also, if there is any improper behaviour, then the conversation can be disclosable. This may include things like putting undue pressure on the employee, harassment or indicating that they would definitely be dismissed if they reject the offer and before any process has been followed. It's common to take a belt and braces approach and refer or label any correspondence or conversations, both as without prejudice and protected. It should be made clear that the employee is under no pressure to accept settlement. And if the agreement is being put forward as an alternative in advance of, say, a redundancy consultation or performance review, to make clear that if they don't accept the settlement offer, no final decisions have been made. 
And if the offer is not accepted, due process would be followed prior to any risk of dismissal. In the overwhelming majority of cases, especially where there's no dispute, I have to say once a settlement agreement proposal is made, the parties generally come to some agreement, even if that means increasing the settlement offer for the employee to sign. But if the employee makes a completely outrageous demand or has an unrealistic idea of what the settlement might look like, of course the parties may have to fall back on a formal process. So it's important to avoid saying things that might prejudice this or to indicate that a decision has been made already. There's no formal requirement to allow employees to be accompanied to a meeting where they're offered a settlement agreement, but this is good practice and in some cases we'd recommend it, in particular if the employee is vulnerable or unwell or if, say, English isn't their first language. It's best to have the settlement agreement ready to give to the employee when you first make the proposal so that they can take it away and seek advice at an early stage. If you wait before giving them the written terms, the delay can create a vacuum where the employee goes off, not really sure about what's been proposed, may think they've been dismissed or that something untoward has gone on. So give the employee a copy of the agreement to take away, perhaps under a covering letter so that it's clear why it's being offered, which may also help the solicitor advising them to understand the underlying situation. The statutory code of practice on settlement agreements says that as a general rule, the employee should be given 10 calendar days to consider the proposed settlement and seek advice. It's best to agree from the outset whether the employee is required to work while they consider their options or, more commonly, to take a few days out on full pay. They should not be put under any pressure until the employee has signed the agreement. No announcements should be made and no assumptions or steps should be taken which make it look like their employment has already ended. Commonly, employees will seek to negotiate terms and there may be a short period of negotiation. All right, so um, you've just talked through the need to um, put put the agreement in writing. Um, so a settlement agreement being in writing, does there need to be a specific format that you follow? Does it need to um, contain specific information? What, what needs to be included in, in an agreement? To ensure that the settlement agreement is legally binding and settle all relevant claims, including unfair dismissal, it must be in writing and relate to a particular complaint. It's not enough for the agreement to just say that it's in full and final settlement of all claims. It must specifically list the claims being settled. For this reason, it's common for settlement agreements to include a huge list of claims where the person drafting the agreement throws the kitchen sink at it to make sure that all possible claims are covered. The employee must have received advice from a relevant independent advisor on the terms and that it will stop them from bringing employment claims. The employee must receive independent legal advice from an advisor on the terms of the agreement. This will usually be a solicitor and they need to be told that it will stop them from bringing employment tribunal claims. The agreement must identify the advisor Um, It's customary for the employer to make a contribution towards the employee's legal fees, perhaps in the region of, say, £350 to £500 plus VAT, but it can be more depending on complexity. The independent advisor must have a contract of insurance covering a risk of a claim by the employee in respect of loss arising from their advice. And finally, the agreement must state that the applicable statutory conditions regulating settlement agreements have been met. Okay, so um, with settlement agreements, are there any claims that we cannot settle with an agreement? Yes, um, future personal injury claims, which the employee becomes aware of after the settlement agreement, 
can't be settled, but existing personal injury claims can be. Claims relating to accrued pension rights and also claims to enforce the agreement. So if the employer fails to pay the settlement sum, the employee could still bring a claim. You mentioned earlier confidentiality clauses, but I wondered whether settlement agreements are still allowed to contain confidentiality restrictions, um, especially after the Me Too movement and the controversy surrounding Harvey Weinstein and NDAs. A settlement agreement can be offered in confidence and can contain confidentiality clauses to protect the employer's business information and preventing bad mouthing by the employee about the employer. However, any confidentiality requirements are subject to certain safeguards and carve-outs and legal advisors must be clear when advising employees that confidentiality clauses will not be enforceable if they seek to prevent them making certain types of disclosure. So, for example, any clauses that attempt to prevent an employee from making a protected disclosure or whistleblowing about a criminal offence or something illegal or dangerous going on at work or a clause which seeks to prevent an employee from doing things like reporting an offence to the authorities, talking to HMRC or giving evidence will be unenforceable. Likewise, there should be carve-outs for the employee to seek medical advice or counselling, to talk to their partner or family in confidence about the terms on offer and their employment. The employee will also likely want to be free to talk to recruiters or prospective employers about their employment history and the reason their employment ended. Aside from uh, confidentiality clauses um, and the waiver of claims setting out all of the claims being settled by the agreement, what are some of the other types of clauses that may be included in a settlement agreement? Generally, as a bare minimum, um, I would expect a settlement agreement to contain uh, confirmation of the arrangements that will be in place up to the termination date. For example, is the employee expected to complete a handover? Will they be on garden leave or will they be paid in lieu of their notice? When will their employment end? As well as the settlement payment, what other sums is the employee due? For example, any holiday pay, notice, expenses, pension arrangements and so on. And also, does the employee only sums to the employer that it may want to deduct from the settlement? Um, return of property arrangements should be in the agreement, confirming what has to be returned and by when. It's common to include certain warranties or conditions for payment, in particular, a promise on the part of the employee that they've not done anything that would amount to gross misconduct prior to termination of employment. Um, an undertaking for the employer to contribute towards the employee's legal fees. Um, And we've already talked about things like references and announcements to third parties. Agreements can also include more onerous provisions, such as post-termination restrictions, uh, which the employer would have to pay the employee to enter into. Another common one is a reasonable assistance clause, which would allow the employer to contact the employee after termination to ask them to assist um, with any litigation or investigations that might come up about matters that the employee knew about or handled during their employment, usually with an agreement on the part of the employer to reimburse the employee's loss of earnings or expenses if called upon. Okay, thank you. So here's the million dollar question, and it is about money. Um, how much should we pay the employee in a settlement agreement? Well, how long's a piece of string? This very much depends on the specifics and the value of the claims that the employee is agreeing to waive. 
As a minimum, the employee is entitled to all contractual entitlements, salary, accrued holiday, their notice together with a tax-free settlement payment. There should be some enhancement on the sums that the employee would have been entitled to anyway. So if we're talking about a settlement agreement offered as an alternative to potential redundancy, the employee will expect an enhanced payment in addition to their statutory redundancy pay. Often as well, it's a case of thinking about potential loss of earnings. Is the employee going to walk straight into another job or other circumstances like illness or something else, which mean that a higher payment will be required to better cover their loss of earnings and in exchange for them waiving their potential claims? In rare cases, an employer may be able to pay much less. For example, if an employee is being offered a settlement instead of a dismissal for misconduct, they may be prepared to leave with a payment in lieu of notice only. But in most cases, there needs to be an element of compensation. And ultimately, it's a question of negotiation and the value of the claims or rights that they are agreeing to give up. Okay, finally, um, and on the same thread as the financials that you've been talking about, um, you mentioned earlier that we may be able to pay the settlement payment tax-free. Are there any limits on this? All contractual payments like earnings, holiday and bonus are taxable as earnings. Notice pay must be calculated by working out the employee's post-employment notice pay or otherwise the employee must work out their notice periods so that the notice pay is accounted for and taxed as earnings. Once all contractual sums have been properly taxed as earnings, the settlement sum can be paid tax-free up to a maximum of 30k. Anything more than this will be subject to deductions. It's customary for employers to include a tax indemnity clause so that in the event that HMRC challenge the tax assessment and seeks payment of any additional tax or employee national insurance contributions, the employer should be able to recover this from the employee together with any interest penalties or costs so that the risk from the tax perspective is put over to the employee. Okay, thanks, Laura. Um, I guess there's there's a lot to think about here. Um but certainly from what you've been saying, I can see why settlement agreements can be such a attractive and appropriate option for both employers and their employees. Um, we'll leave it there for this podcast edition. Um, of course, our team is always happy to have a chat and advise on offering settlement agreements if this is something that you're thinking about. Um, and on the flip side, if you are an employee, we'll be very happy to review the settlement terms for you. As always, uh, please note that what we discuss in our podcast are for general information purposes only um, and do not constitute legal advice. If you're interested in hearing more of our podcast, then you can visit our website, www.cwj.co.uk, where we have recorded sessions covering a whole host of interesting subjects for employers. Um Thanks as ever to Laura for another very informative recording. We will be recording another podcast soon. Um, So until then, thanks for listening. Goodbye for now.